1: The 53-man roster is set, and we're ready for the 2017 NFL season to kick off. This is the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, and this is Al Sacco here as usual, but we're without saying who's actually going to be gone for a couple weeks on vacation, but as promised, we have some amazing co-hosts that are going to help us out in his absence, and the first of which is here with me right now, and his name is Taylor Price. Taylor, thanks for being on the show, buddy.
0: Well, appreciate that. That's quite the intro. Amazing. I I hope I can deliver on, on that promise.
1: Oh, we have, we have no doubt, dude. We have no doubt you can deliver. Um, as you do on your show every time, Taylor Price talk. And I wondered if you could tell the fans a little bit about that, if they're actually not familiar with it at all. Because you get some amazing guests. I mean, every time I go to listen to your show, and I, I love your show, You just it seems like you're just outdoing yourself. You have crazy guests on there. Um, tell the fans a little bit about your show and, and where they can find it.
0: Sure, of course. Yeah, so... Really, the show is an opportunity to speak openly, speak freely about the team, the on-field performance. Uh, it's a far outcry from what you saw from me when I was working for the actual 49er website. Now I can have more open-ended dialogue with reporters, players, people in media, national, local. And that's really been fun for me to really get their insights on the team. And then also follow up on my experiences. It's one thing where, yes, on the press side, we, we have a different point of view, but as an insider, as a team employee, yeah, you're right there front and center for all the major happenings. The, the, the people you see on TV from day to day, you see how they are when the cameras on around. You get a different sense of what it really goes into making this, uh, these NFL games happen. So I uh, have a, a deep respect for uh, getting a chance to talk to people and, and air those conversations. And so you can listen to the Taylor Price Talk podcast on iTunes. It's also on vsporto.com. And I tweet about it regularly, regularly on my Twitter account at Taylor Price. So, open-ended conversations, just really honest, uh, hard opinions about the team. And it's been fun for me because, like I said, a lot different from what I was doing uh, the last nine years.
1: And I think uh, you and I are about to have a pretty honest conversation because one of the things I wanted to bring up was a guest that we both had on recently was Gary Plummer, who was so honest and, and so forthright um, in his interview with us. And he talked about a lot of similar things on both of our shows, and one of which was the fact that from what he heard – Was that Jed York wasn't the one who pulled the trigger on um, Kyle Shanahan, that his mother, Denise DeBartolo York, actually was the person. And he was really critical of Jed in a lot of ways. Um, He talked about nepotism. He talked about his ego. He talked about that, you know, if something goes wrong, he's the first person to point fingers. But when things go right, he's the first person to want credit. And Jed's gotten so much credit, Taylor, for the hires of Shanahan and Lynch. and, And a lot of people are like, oh, okay, you know, he's learned his lesson. But maybe he hasn't. And you worked for the Forty ers for a long time, and he was essentially your boss. So, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't want you to say anything you're uncomfortable with. But honestly, in in being around Jed York and working for the Forty ers do you do you think he's a guy that's learning from his mistakes, or is it kind of like Gary said? Is he just did he just kind of shut his eyes and swing and, and hit a pitch here, and, and and his mother helped him out with it?
0: Well, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. I I would say first, it's early. It's been cyclical with him making rash decisions, maybe trying to overcompensate or or get a different personality from the the last person you had, and I want to fix this so fast and try to make it right. And that hasn't done the 49ers very well. Now, the fact that they went with the John Lynch route, you have an elder statesman, a guy who's just well-respected in league circles. Every time he's out there in front of the media, uh, you're eating it up because it's John Lynch. He's polished on the microphone, whether he's in front of a press conference or he's in the broadcasting booth. He looks really comfortable as Jed is not so much, but Jed has done a good job of falling back, getting out of the spotlight and letting John Lynch do his thing. We got to let this thing play out before we start really championing if Jed York is right at his wrongs. But honestly, the fact that they were able to get two people in at the same time and not try to put band-aids on the situation, Trent had a lot of power. He was, he was in the inner circle. When you talk about the, the people that really ran the 49ers, it was Jed York, Al Guido, it's Prague Murata, and it was, it was Trampolky. They had their fingerprints on every aspect of the organization, and to uproot somebody from that, that inner circle, that clique, if you will, um, that was a major decision. That was a turning point for Jed York to really say, uh, I'm not happy with what's happening, and i gotta, I got to rock the boat. i got to shake up my power group. Al does a great job on the business side. The money is flowing. They have really <laughs> changed the business model for NFL teams, and that comes a lot from Jerry Jones and that Dallas influence. They're not just about football. They're about business. They're about the community, selling tickets, selling uh, suites, getting people in their stadium, getting people in their museum, all these things on the business side. Jed York has done a great job of that. Now, on the football side, and Gary alluded to this, his actions haven't shown his value of winning. He moved the team to Santa Clara. As they're changing dollars. They want to become the biggest thing out there in the South Bay. That's happened, but to what degree of issues have you caused of removing the the team from San Francisco. So those are things that Jed York ultimately has to live with and that he has to change the perception of his legacy. Right now, Jed York's legacy, if he was to never be involved with the 49ers or be involved in professional football, it was a guy who was quick on the trigger. He detonated it over and over again. He was throwing cash out, trying to get this thing right. And he never let the thing build out with a great Mm -hmm. process when he had it in place with Jim Harbaugh. So Jed York... He's made his missteps, but I think so far, what you've seen is that he was willing to get rid of one of his closest people in the organization and, and try to right the wrongs. And so far, it's been positive, but let it play off over the course of the season. I, I think that's probably a, a realistic approach to evaluate Jed York's turning the page.
1: But that's the thing, too. We, we saw how quickly it went south with Harbaugh, and I know Harbaugh... Has you know a, a very strong personality, but Kyle Shanahan's set in his ways too. So I, I think we really do have to, to wait and see a couple of years. You know, if if things aren't turned around in two years, is is are we going to start seeing finger pointing again? Could the leaks happen again? Because um, since John yeah, Lynch is coming totally in, you know those those leaks have really stopped since since Lynch came in. But it, it's a really good point you made, where we have to wait and see how how this goes because his his past doesn't say that that he's he's going to be you know cautious with this he's, yeah. he's really gonna so have to see how it plays out but yeah. in, t- in terms of in terms of working for him i mean was it a good organization to work for did you, you did you enjoy your time there um you know especially when things were going south was there stress was there pressure or was it a good organization to work with the whole time you
0: know i i wouldn't really say it was a, it was a bad situation i'm very fortunate and thankful for the opportunity and grew up as a fan of the team. You get a chance to really be a, a spokesman in a sense If you want to call it the digital content spokesman. Like I enjoyed that role and I relished that role, but Jed was always fair and, and there are certain people. And when you, you move in a company or organization, there's certain people that are cold that are, they're not friendly. They're not nice to you. They're not, you know, open in dialogue. And I wouldn't say Jed was like that. I would say mm-hmm. Jed was created a culture where he was, you know, uh, comedic behind the scenes. He would make jokes. he would be friendly with, he would engage with you. he would sit down and have a meal with you. Uh, he wasn't like that where he was better than the, 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 you know the young people on the on the team, like the young staffers. So uh, I have know good things to say about Jed from just that, that cultural perspective, but uh, my question to him, or, or how I view it now is he wants to be liked. He wants to be appreciated. Uh, a lot of things it, it hurts if you're in front of a halftime ceremony uh for a player getting inducted in the ring of honor and, and you get on the camera and people are booing you in your own stadium. That doesn't right. feel well. So I I know Jed York sorely wants to be appreciated and recognized like his uncle was. And the only way for that to happen was for John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan to really get this thing going. He had it with Jim Harbaugh. And for whatever reason, maybe he was younger, uh, he didn't he didn't really recognize what he a good thing going. I mean if if anything, you just pay the guy to stay here and make it work. If you look at what Michigan is doing right now, how much fun they're having as a football team, as Michigan football is back on the map, uh, how sorely would the 49ers like to be in that position where maybe they didn't win Super Bowls, but they were relevant. They were entertaining. They were fun. They were captivating. And they didn't go that route because of the power play. Jed York and Trent, they just couldn't figure it out with Harbaugh. They, they pushed them aside. And so now, yeah, they have to make it, That's a right. They have to account for the mistakes they did. And the best thing to do on is to, to sit there with John Lynch. Let John Lynch work the room, say everything great, uh, be realistic, and, and really J.D.R. put his arm around him and say, This is my guy. This is the person that I have doing, taking care of all the football things. Uh, the more J.D.R. can do that, fall back, fall out of football, not talk about his opinions on the team, and just. Hey, be a, be a, a lightning rod to help the football organization, cut the checks to get them the best equipment, the best medical staff, all the things he's done this offseason. Uh, that's, that's the best Jed if you want to see. The guy that's out of the background just cutting the checks and letting the football staff hold, have the best amenities to, to be ready on game day.
1: And Lynch is, I mean, and I mean this in the best possible way. He's like a politician. The way he comes across, he's so good in public. He's so good at presenting the 49ers and the 49ers brand is a face of a franchise. He's terrific. And the word you mentioned that that I want to hit on is realistic. And I think as we get into the roster, Taylor, it, it was a very realistic approach to the roster. And what I mean by that, the common theme was they went young. You have 14, 15 rookies on this roster, and it looks like they're willing to go through the growing pains with these guys. And that's the realistic approach to this roster because you could have had some band-aids, you could have had the Tim High Towers, you could have had you know some of the older vet guys that they ended up getting rid of, even even Jeremy Curley, and we'll get into that. Um, But he went with the young guys, and it was a realistic approach. And one of the first questions I wanted to ask you is: We get into the fifty-three man now. The quarterbacks they kept two; they kept Brian Hoyer and C.J. Beathard. And when we talked to you last time you mentioned that you weren't too excited about Brian Hoyer. And, and one of the first questions I, I thought of or something for us to talk about, I thought of when I knew you were going to come on the show was, um, are you, based on what you saw in the preseason, are you a little bit more excited? Do you, st- do you still kind of have trepidation with him?
0: Yeah, no, you know, I was definitely harsh <laughs> and uh, critical of Brian Hoyer because of his track record. Hasn't really sustained a 16-game run. Hasn't put multiple years as a starter. He's kind of been a journeyman. He's bounced around. And I, I'm a believer that you can become a starting quarterback later in life. We've seen it with, with uh Rich Gannon. We've seen it Jim Harbaugh was a guy who said, I didn't really figure it out at first. I got better later on in my career. So Brian Horner has that opportunity. He's he's mentored or he's worked with uh, Tom Brady and he's bounced around the league. He's been with so many smart football minds. There's no reason why he can't be a solid NFL quarterback, but he hasn't shown it. He hasn't proved it. And so I was on the, I was a little hesitant to crown this guy as all right, the Niners have a Base option at quarterback. They're going to be confident on offense. Now that we've seen the preseason, I can honestly say what I've read on practice reports, what I've seen online in videos and where he was at, that Minnesota game, especially now the Broncos game, totally different story. Um, It gives me some confidence that this guy is capable and and confident. He can go out and as long as he stays healthy, can be a a realistic game manager, potentially hit some strikes down the field and be a, a good option at quarterback for this team. My, my biggest hesitancy on, on really saying if he's the, the one for this team is uh, we haven't seen him do it for a long period of time. And he's one hit away, one missed block away from your seeing J. C.J. Beathard uh, take over the reins, potentially. So um, Brian Horner had a better preseason training camp than I anticipated. But I think we're going to have to talk about it in October, November, December when it's cold weather, when uh, you're, you're beat up, when your offensive line, there's injuries on the offense. Um, he's going to need a lot of help to, to really make this thing work. but. I'm, I'm optimistic, let's say that, that he can start this season and not be uh, a turnover machine, not be somebody that's really going to be a detriment on Kyle Shanahan's scheme. Now, it's Kyle Shanahan's job now to really scheme it up and, and help Brian where He look, it looked like a million bucks out there.
1: And and I'm I'm really optimistic with him too. I, I don't know that he's gonna have a, a Pro Bowl type season, but certainly Kyle Shanahan's gonna put these quarterbacks in a position to succeed. His play calling does that. And and Hoyer knows the system. He looked comfortable to me in the system. I I, I know that Broncos game, there were some missteps and and that sort of thing, but overall he didn't play that bad. He looks comfortable. He's got a command of this offense. I was a little bit surprised yeah. that they only kept two two quarterbacks, but that seems to be the theme in the NFL right now. But I, I thought for me, Beathard. I was hoping the season that he could be the third quarterback and maybe eventually move up to number two as the season went on. He kind of came out guns blazing and you got to be impressed with him so far, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a guy that showed really that he was comfortable in the pocket. And that's something that rookie quarterbacks coming from these spread schemes where they're on, they're on the move. They're more of a runner slash thrower secondary. They're not really a passing first quarterback. He was the opposite pro style quarterback. Maybe the numbers were misleading a little bit because of the injuries towards the end of his career, but uh, you see those traits. You see a guy who's comfortable, under center, um, in shotgun, takes the ball uh, and can really be accurate and, you know, well, well-informed well with those decisions he's making. I, I was impressed by what I saw from from, from Considering I didn't watch a ton of tape on him, know a ton about him college games and all that, I think he's a guy who can really – Mold with Kyle Shannon over the course of time, and the fact that they didn't carry three quarterbacks that just speaks to the, the way the NFL is going now. The likelihood of you needing three quarterbacks on a Sunday is very limited. Might, might as well have more receivers, more defensive linemen, more cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. You have more options on your active forty-six because the chance of you having to burn through three quarterbacks in one game day is very low. So you're seeing that league-wide. This is more of a trend on uh, attrition. We're not going to go through three quarterbacks on a day. Uh, we might have one on the practice squad, which is interesting. I didn't think they would add to that. And and the fact that they could potentially make some call-ups or try out guys throughout the season. If CJ Beathard is not doing well, they might want to have a veteran join the team later on. There's, there's a lot of tricky maneuvering that goes on after the fifth degree man cut is important, but um, this roster I think will still evolve throughout the first month of the season.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that impressed me most about Bethard, and I am in no way comparing him to Andrew luck, but something he does that you see Andrew luck do is just keeping his eyes downfield in the pocket all the time. Stands in the pocket, he's looking downfield, moving up in the pocket, eyes are downfield. Bethard did that right away. And to have a rookie come in and have that kind of presence and to look downfield that way, I, I thought it was huge and I tweeted out, and I still think this, you know, we we talked about for so long, can Bethard win the QB two job? Now I think you have to sort of start talking about can Bethard be the starter next year? Cause there's a lot of talk about cousins and a lot of talk about, you know, this loaded draft class. Maybe Bethard is the guy. Maybe he can develop if if he did this well this soon. Maybe he's a guy that you can put in the mix anyway for a starter on 2018. So,
0: yeah, not not the crystal ball, it. But I, I talked about this on the podcast with Kevin Jones the other night that it's very likely that the team at some point is three and seven, four and eight, four and nine, whatever that sort of we're out of it record is. That you've got to do what Beathard can do. Otherwise, you're jeopardizing your evaluation on these first right. round picks, potentially making a deal with Kirk Cousins. So. Uh, lots to play out, but of course, I think at some point if the Niners are out of the playoff hunt, you've got to see what C.J. Bether can do as a starter. And Hopefully, there are some meaningful games where there has to be a spoiler, and if C.J. Beathard can beat some of these playoff-hungry teams, uh, you like what you see, then you give them a the shot next year as your starting quarterback. But uh, of course, a lot to play out if that scenario were to
1: take place. Agree 100%. All right, going to the running backs, uh, the team keeps three. Carlos Hyde, Matt Breida, Raheem Mostert. Is there enough here? we know Hyde's going to be the featured back. We know he's going to be the bell cow. And I think Burrito will gets some carries there too, but that's a pretty thin group, man.
0: Yeah, that, that's a thin group. And I think if you look at it too, from, what we talked about active 46 and a very pinch, like two injuries are gone down. You're going to have some bodies to move around on special teams. And Kyle use could potentially probably line up and play running back. The guy is probably so cerebral. He knows every position in the offense. You'll finish a game like that. So I think they're set for the Panthers game, but you never know. I mean, Players can get cut. There's practice squad pickups. There's all sorts of maneuvering right now, and I think potentially they could add another running back. Uh, I think that fourth running back will have to have special teams value. We saw Mostert uh, have a great game in Minnesota, but also he was he was a gunner on kicks. He was a special teams player, and that, if you're a third-string running back, fourth-string running back, you've got to be able to cover kicks, or otherwise um, maybe you're a kick returner, but if you're not get on the field, why are you on the team? So I think Joe Williams, his ankle injury uh, came up at the right time because you're able to essentially stash him on the practice squad or injury reserve squad and not have to put him out on the field as an inactive player who doesn't play special teams, who's not really active on game day. So uh, I think three, is, a, three is, a, is an okay number, but more, more than likely, they'll probably add a fourth guy as injuries happen to special teams and night You're going to want to fill up the back end of your roster with that, with that
1: special team versatility. And you mentioned use and I was kind of going to group him in with the tight ends um, use check. And then the three mm-hmm. tight ends, they keep are George Kittle, Logan Paulson and Garrett Zellick. And I say that because you look at the tight end group and as, as much as, as we like George Kittle and as much as he's eventually going to be the starter on this team. And he may even start week one, but he's going to need time to develop. I almost feel like they were able to go sort of with question marks at tight end, because maybe use check is going to line up there in passing downs. How do you see use check getting used here?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the versatility of where he lines up, he's the type of athlete where he can line up in the eye position and then motion to where a tight end would be, or he could just line up like Delaney Walker would as a slot or as as another you know, tight end. So he has the body to do those things, and Kyle Shannon has shown that he wants to, to feature him. in that, that last game or two games ago against Minnesota, was a nice bootleg where they dumped it off to him, and that was a nice traditional throw-to-the-fullback type of play that everybody on the West Coast offense uh, fan base loves to see. So I think Juszczyk has an opportunity to really uh, mix in in the passing game. He'll probably catch more passes than we've seen from a fullback in in light years for the 49ers. Bruce Mm -hmm. Miller started to become more active, and that really wasn't his his repertoire. I think Juszczyk has the hands, has the athleticism to really be a weapon against some of those linebackers and those underneath routes. But the, the tight end group as a whole, I was really impressed by Kittle. The fact that you get this guy in the fifth round and that, that touchdown that he had against I uh, think Denver uh, really spoke to just some like major playmaking ability. And you look at who made the team, who didn't make the team. You got to make plays, whether it's in practice or in games. Uh, you have to stand out and do something that really gets attention. And, and Kittle do that throughout camp, whether it's great catches, preseason games, going out and translating that onto the game day field, getting touchdowns. Um, I think he's going to be a pleasant surprise as a starting tight end this year. Uh, the other part too is I feel bad for Garrett Sells because he was. So close with Vance McDonald, so close with Blake Bell. They were like the ultimate mm. bromance, and uh, they had to split that, that band up. But the NFL is a fraternity. These guys will probably keep in touch. So Garrett Bell is making the roster. He's probably I think, one of the last five or six guys from the Super Bowl team. Uh, he's missing all his buddies now. He's got to make new friends. He's essentially the,
1: uh, the OG in the room and he was the forgotten man too he got no credit this offseason nobody thought he was making the team and he stuck around and he came in and he is a good player you know he's not dynamic but he's definitely a solid player um, it, the thing with kittle when his last two years of college, junior and senior year, he had less than 70 targets. So here's a guy getting targeted, you know, in the 30s every season, just a few times a game, essentially. And for the Niners to, to really see what he could offer and just to project him and see what he could be, because he looks like he's going to be, you know, a 40, 50 catch type tight end. So a lot of credit to their scouting department who found him because he, he really could be a gem in the fifth round. Um,
0: yeah, so and, the tight end position now is more wide receiver than inline blocker. So the fact that they get a guy who potentially do both, I can not sit here and tell you that George Kittle is an excellent run blocker just yet, but if he can hit master both skills, you definitely have something.
1: Now the receiver group, you got Pierre Garçon, Marquise Goodwin, Eldrick Robinson, Trent Taylor... Uh, Victor Bolden and Kendrick Bourne. Now this group has 663 career receptions and Pierre Garçon has 564 of them. (laughs) So there's not exactly a lot of experience here. Um, And I like Garçon, you know, he's a chain mover. He's a a very good receiver. He's a vet. I like Marquis Goodwin to have that breakout year. Um, I definitely think that's, that's a realistic expectation for him. He's looked great, but he's got 49 catches in his career. Eldrick Robinson, yeah. you know, again, a, a that guy, he worked with Shanahan really well, 50 career catches, and then he got three rookies. So again, they're an injury here from, from kind of being in trouble at receiver. W- what are your thoughts on this group? Yeah,
0: that's a good point. And you think that Curley would just be kept around for the sake of, like, you know, professional starts experience. The guy just knows what it takes to, to be successful on game day. They went really unproven with this group. And so you're right. One injury to, Goodwin who hasn't had a a track record of 16 games. He's had some nicks and bruises. He's a pretty slight build for a number two receiver, and Garcon is up there in age, so you're right. If there's something goes down with those two, you're really relying on Trent Taylor and Bourne and Bolden Jr. to be your next level wide receivers, and yes, they did great in the preseason, but let's be real. They're backups that they're going against, so they're getting down the field and catching touchdowns against backups, so they need to prove it on game day, and I, I have a a strong feeling that they made this team, they earned it. It wasn't like an evaluation thing, like a projection. These guys were, were getting touchdowns in practice. They were earning it every day, and that's why it translated and they made, made it on the roster. There's no spots like this just given out for projections. These are guys that are definitely uh, capable in the eyes of Kyle Shannon. And Kyle Shannon has shown us that he is a pretty good evaluator of talent of offensive players. So um, I'm encouraged by these young guys making the team. The other part, too, is speed is a big weapon. Uh, as wide receivers and Bolden and, and Bourne can definitely fly. So uh, I'd like to see these guys get on the field and be active on game day. But um, for now, <laughs> Garcon and, and uh, Goodwin are going to be the, the, the bread and butter of this offense.
1: I was shocked that they caught Curly And I had seen the rumblings that it, it could happen from some very – you know, knowledgeable people, people that I I trust what they say. And I was like, they're not gonna cut them. They're just they're not, there's not enough behind them. And, and and they did. So you could just they're just all in on the youth movement. I mean, I mean there's no other way to put it. Um all right, offensive line. And you're gonna have to make me feel better about this because I don't feel good. Tackles, I like Joe Staley and Trent Brown. Good players. You got Theus and Gilliam to back up. We'll see. Hopefully Brown and Staley can stay on the field. Center Daniel Kilgore who I actually think is underrated. I like Kilgore. Um, Eric Magnuson is the backup center, but the guards are where I'm pretty concerned. You got Zane Beatles, Brandon Fusco. Uh, they make the trade for Lakin Tomlinson, who you think is going to take a few weeks to get acclimated. Obviously, the weak link here is the guard play, and you saw that in the running game with the first team in the preseason. Carlos Hyde really couldn't find much daylight. Um, he, I think he only averaged a little bit over two yards to carry in the preseason. It was pretty ugly. So is this going to carry into the season, or can Kyle Shanahan scheme around this?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and so much of what Kyle Shannon wants to do on offense is really centered on this running attack. If they're not able to to run against a seven, eight-man box, and they're getting they're getting looks like that, they're not going to be able to get that play-action action game to where they want it to be, so they have to figure it out up front, and there's no secret about that, and the fact that they made the trade for Tomlinson, that was really encouraging. This guy has first-round pedigree. He's got size at 312, 6'3", 6, 312 6, 3, pounds, so He's a, a big guy that can move his feet. They just need to uh, get him in the scheme, get him in that playbook. And new players all the time when they're signed this close to uh, the regular season, they're, they're living at the facility. So I have no doubt mm-hmm. that the coaching staff and Tomlinson are, are working overnight to, to get him up to speed because they're going to need him on the field this year. He started in this league at that first-round pedigree. Um, they're going to need him in the mix there for sure. But if he's unable to play against the Panthers, if he's, a, if he's active, if he's a backup, uh, you know, Beatles and and Fusco, those guys, they played. They're they're capable starters. I wouldn't say they're up upper echelon or high level starters, but uh, I think you're going to have to hope Tomlinson can get in that first round, first uh, first team mix, I should say, pretty soon because uh, you know I'm not too encouraged by the guard play they have currently.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it, and, it, and it, with those three, it's it's tough. And again, hopefully, Josh Greenet can can get himself back next year and and get back on the field and and be a factor moving forward. Um. All right, I am bullish on this front seven. I love the front seven. I think it's going to surprise some people this year. Um, you have the defensive tackle DeForest Buckner, Earl Mitchell, uh, DJ Jones, Tank Harriting, um, defensive ends Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, Elvis Doomerville, Aaron Lynch, Peta Tomapenu, and then Xavier Cooper, who I know nothing about. Um, who they who they signed to replace Ronald Blair, who went on an injured reserve. Now, I think the front seven is starting with that defensive line. Um, I don't know that they're going to have like a 10-sack guy, but I think you could see maybe three or four guys with six, seven, eight sacks. I think it's going to be a balanced pass rush. I think it's going to be a lot better at stuffing the run in, in that front four, I think, will be in the, the difference for them in some games to get some wins that maybe you think this team's not going to get because they do play so well in the trenches on defense.
0: Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. And I have to I have to call you out on it. You casually worked in an impressive P I'm a new name drop in there. So yeah. And hey, the only reason that's, that's impressive,
1: I had him on the show and that's the only reason. Cause oh. I literally sat and practiced his name for a week. Cause I'm like, I don't want to have this guy on the show and butcher his name. So I had it like phonetically spelled out And like, yeah, I'm just, I'm on the ball with that one.
0: Yeah. This is okay. So this, when you talk about the defensive line, it brings me back to draft day for the last three years and thinking about all the players you read about all the mock draft, all the hype. And then you're like, Uh, Eric Armstead, okay, okay, cool. Like, we like that. Uh, DeForce Buckner, okay, another Oregon defensive lineman. All these people out there were going with the same guy, same body type, same school. And then this year, Solomon Thomas, another defensive lineman. Like, at the time, you're stifled, you're little, like, let's get some diversity. We need a wide receiver. We need a cornerback. We need a quarterback. Well, now you have three elite, on paper, first round talents on the defensive line. So to see these guys line up together on the field at the same time, that is what uh, the vision was. That's why they made these picks. So um, you have potential there with Ruben Foster and Bowman. You have some really high-level players, and that could be a strength of this team. And um, we've talked about it on the podcast where the offense, they're going to have some growing pains. The defense, they're going to be entertaining. They're young. They're mm-hmm. spicy. They're, they're a group with a lot of upside and much more than the, the offensive side of the ball right now. But I look at this defensive line, and I'm hearing Joe Staley out there talking about Solomon Thomas, a really impressive player, a guy who can really make a great career for himself. I want to see that on the regular regular season. I want to see that on the field where Solomon Thomas is uh, getting on there with the first-team defense and getting sacked, making tackles for loss repeatedly. So far, we saw him inches way up there with the first group later in the preseason. uh, I think now is the time for Solomon Thomas to assert himself. We know DeForest Buckner we can do. Eric Armstead's a little bit of a wild card because of the injuries. But this front seven really has a chance to be great with that defensive line. Those three first-round picks, they can get on the field together, and that's the type of stuff that can make this defense really remarkable this year.
1: Yeah, and the guys behind them, the rest of that front seven, and you mentioned a couple of them, the linebackers. You're going to have Navarro Bowman, Reuben Foster, and Eli Harold starting. With Dakota Watson and Brock Coyle uh, backing up in, in big on special teams those two and then ray ray armstrong as well and this is a good group too obviously we've got to see if bowman is back or at least 85 percent back which would be you know fine because he was so great to begin with reuben foster looks like a star he might be the best player on their defense already and that's i mean i really think he could be that good and then there's eli harold who was a bit of a surprise to me um i didn't think much of him when the Offseason season started and, and here he is starting. Now we know what we're going to get with Foster and Bowman. Probably. Do, do you think Harold's somebody who's going to be able to hold on to that starting position and have a future here, or is he just sort of a placeholder for right now?
0: Yeah, no, I think no. you know, Eli's people look at sack numbers for the evaluation of an edge player. And it is very important part of the job that you're not going to last too many seasons. If you're not producing uh, in the sack we'll, we'll column, but other big part of that job is setting the edge in the running game. And you're really not getting pulled over, um, making it so the running back has to cut up the field so your linebackers can, can get there. And Eli Harold's the guy who's really been praised for his ability to set the edge, whether it's by Kyle Shannon or Jason Tarver. Coaches over the years have recognized that about him. And he was, uh, I would say, more of a misfit. I don't know if he was a true 3-4 edge uh, <laughs> Uh, pass rusher he wasn't that body type i think a 4-3 scheme probably fits him a little bit better he has position versatility he's a good athlete he's the type of player i think can blossom in this scheme but he has to go out and do it and we talked about it with him on the podcast oh injury was sending him back the weight that trent balke asked him to put on that was that was tough for him to do last year i think now you're seeing him more as a natural athlete and the fact that they told ahmad brooks thanks but no thanks we don't need you this year uh, bodes well for Eli Harold's future. And I want to touch on Ruben Foster real quick. I just want to throw this thought out there. He might be the face of the franchise right now. I know those and Navarre Bowman are like the the old guard, the, the OGs, like the original guys from the, the hardball years. But uh, to me, Ruben Foster is really like the name you're going to see if they put a national game and they need to pick one player's logo to put on the screen, they might go Ruben Foster because this guy is entertaining. He's engaging. He's a playmaker. He's hitting everything moving. If you're looking at what the team produces, the, the content they're throwing out there, uh, Ruben Foster is a guy who's generating interest, age views, clicks, uh, eyeballs, all those things. He might be your most interesting player by the end of the season, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and I'm no scout, so I'm not going to pretend. You know, I know the intricacies of, of the linebacker session and things like that. All I know with Foster is that when you watch him, he stands out. He just seems like he's faster than everybody. You just notice him, and the last player I remember being like that was Patrick Willis when he came in, and you're just like, "Whoa, this dude's just different." You know, this guy just looks different Mm -hmm. out there, and he he's the same type of player. I agree with you. He can end up being the face of the franchise very soon, very soon. I hope he stays healthy, and I hope his head's on straight because he could be a you know a a decade long All Pro type player for this team and end up being. I, I thought he was maybe. I'll do respect to Miles Garrett. I thought Foster might have been the best player in the draft. I, I think he's that good. I think he's special. Um, we talked to Pete Prisco from CBS Sports, and he said, you know, this guy is Ray Lewis special, is what he said. You know, he thought he was that good. And, and when you hear, you know, national guys who are around the game say things like that, it really makes you take a step back and be like, whoa, you know, they got mm-hmm. something here. So yeah. um, Now, on the back end, this is where it gets a little bit dicey. So cornerback position, I thought even might've been a little bit more worrisome for me than guard. And they end up keeping five, um, that are listed as cornerbacks, Rashard Robinson, Dante Johnson are going to be your starters with Quan Williams, in the nickel, and then Achille o. Witherspoon and Keith Reeser. And, and so again, if there's an injury here, all of a sudden this could get ugly because teams were able to throw on them this preseason. And when the starters were out of the game and it, it didn't look very good at times. So how worried are you about this group? Or do you think they're going to surprise people?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I would say it's probably a cause for concern. And I love Ru- Rashard Robinson's tenacity. I love his confidence. I love the swagger that he brings to the group. He just He's just a guy who's confident when he's out there playing. And he's got the physical skills to match the <laughs> the, the smack talk. So I, I like his upside, but I also have to guard against the fact that he is now their, their top dog in that room. They don't have Tremaine Brock. So that's a different level when you are... When you physically know you're in the mirror in the of quarterbacks so that you are the strongest, uh, fastest, you are the best player in the group, you've got to carry yourself. You've got to hold the group up to a higher standard. So the fact that they don't really have veteran leadership uh, is a concern for me. So I hope Gowan Williams is that type of guy who can be vocal, that can keep Rashard Robinson honest and, and motivated and hungry throughout the year because he's got the physical tools. Uh, Weatherspoon's got the physical tools. Dante Johnson's got the physical tools. Um, they need to kind of build from within and really show it on the field because the passing game in the NFL is second to none, and they're going to see it every single week. There's a murderous row of number one receivers that I don't know if Rashard Robinson's at that point where he's going go to go sideline to sideline with them and cover them throughout the field one-on-one, but they're going to need Dante Johnson and Rashard Robinson to match up with the likes of Odell Beckham, Des Bryant, you're down the list. It's, it's not easy to play cornerback in this league, and... Rashad Robinson has the makeup to do well, but I think he doesn't have the mentorship just yet. So hopefully he can have an above-average season. I think that'll bode well for his long-term uh, potential as a, a, standout, a standout defensive player.
1: And You mentioned two really important things there when talking about Robinson, upside and number one receivers. And the reason I think that is because he does have that upside, but he's not there yet is the upside there can he be a number 1 corner I, I, yeah he's got that kind of talent but everybody's kind of saying oh yeah you know he's the top guy when he gets against some of these number 1 receivers he's going to have some rough days and that's not anything against him that's just the nature of learning your position that's just the nature of being a young player in the NFL when he plays against like you said the Des Bryant's or the OBJ's or whoever it is um even Larry Fitzgerald like an older you know crafty veteran they're they're going to probably make him look bad sometimes he's he's going to make his plays too but it's going to be up and down with him. And, and you have to hope that he gets enough on the other side from, from Johnson or whoever's lining up there that it balances him out a little bit. Cause there's going to be games where you probably look up and you're like, Oh man, they're picking on Robinson just because he's not there yet. He may get there, but there's yeah. going to be growing pains there for sure. Um, now they are hoping that the safety group can make up for a little bit at the corners. And I really like the safety group. You're going to have Jimmy Ward, Eric Reed, who just looks like a natural fit in this defense Klosky Tard, who also played a lot better than I expected this preseason, Lorenzo Jerome, who's upside I love, and Adrian Colbert, um, who also has, has a lot of upside. Now, my issue here, Taylor, is Jimmy Ward, because he was brought, you know, said to be, he's going to be the back end, he's going to be the free safety, um, he's going to be playing center field, which is such an important position in this defense, and he hurts his hamstring at the end of July, and he's still not on the field. At what yeah. point can we just not count on Jimmy Ward?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a very fair point. I think, too, we love training camp. We love preseason games. But if he, if it's all said and done, he shows up week one, he's healthy, he plays, and the injury was never an issue. We tend to, we tend to I guess, romanticize the thought of training camp. We have Le'Veon Bell just basically showing up for, for Pittsburgh. He's gonna good <laughs> yeah, to go. So true. Yeah. Uh, the hardcore football purists in us, we want to see you earn it on the training camp field. We want to see you... Two up for a preseason game if he's good to go week one it's kind of a moot point but you're right uh the injury issues with him with his foot or uh, i think it was like a bicep or upper body issue, injury last year um i'm getting my DP injuries mixed up but jimmy ward hasn't really been a 16 game guy uh through and through his career and especially with a new scheme i do have questions does he have the range does he have the uh I'd say like the, the vertical ability to get up and defend some of those high-point passes. Like Earl Thomas is a freak of nature. He can get up and, and knock the ball down at the high point. He can also come up and hit you like Camp Chancellor. I know Jimmy Ward likes to hit. He's not soft he's in that department. I worry about that covering the back end of the defense, the high-point the high balls that you're going to get to tight end, the Kelvin Benjamin, people that we were seeing last year that he was having a hard time defending. That, to me, is where Jimmy Ward's going to show me uh, he's ready to be that, that enforcer slash secondary center fielder for the defense. I uh, hope he's healthy. I hope he's able to play. But otherwise, Kwasi Tartar is a hell of an athlete. If he can get it all mm-hmm. together and really uh, take it seriously, get coached up, and, and he's got the physical tools, it's just a matter of him taking that next step. And uh, I think Eric Reed, you're right, is very well positioned for this new role. Now you need to get that athlete on the back end to compliment him to cover some of those tight ends, cover the back end of the field, and really – you know, teams are going to attack the Niners deep. That, that free safety needs to be able to break up balls down the hill at the high point.
1: I can see Reed even getting a contract extension midseason. I think he's going to look that good in this defense. He just seems like this is a natural fit now. He seems like he's just ready to come up and, you know, smack some people. He, he seems like he's just playing much more comfortable. And I see them looking, trying to lock him up long term for sure. And I do like the Lorenzo Dromes and the Adrian Colbert's as developmental guys. Dromes just got a nose for the ball. Um, Colbert's very fast. Those are going to be nice guys on the back ends, too. And and I know they've been getting them some work at corner as well. So maybe they can step up at, in nickel corner or whatever to help out. So see how that goes. Now, rounding out the roster, just because kickers and long snappers are people, too. Uh, we had Robbie Gold as a kicker, uh, Bradley Pinion as a punter, and Kyle Nelson as a long snapper. So, like we said, very young roster. Um, there's going to be a lot of growing pains this year, but it's going to be exciting for this team moving forward. Um, but, Taylor, before we wrap this up, I get a week one prediction from you. What do you? How do you think the Niners are going to do against Carolina? Do they have a chance? Do they? Are they going to get blown out? Is it going to be a close game? What do you think?
0: That's a great question. And you know, so Kevin Kevin Jones was telling me that Cam might not play, and that they're going to win by ten points um, because Cam's kind of iffy for this game. And, you know, I think the being at home definitely helps, but, but because it's their first time figuring it out together, um, the Panthers are favored in this game. I have a hard time saying that the Niners are going to win. I want to be wrong. Believe me, I would much rather talk about a, a win on a podcast versus a loss. Like, that's just a, a much more exciting uh, content piece to have. But I, I just don't see them there just yet. Um, the Panthers are a team that was two years removed from a Super Bowl. They have that core of that defense. They have more weapons for Cam Newton now than they've ever had. So I think the Panthers on the road, Christian McCaffrey potentially could have a really big day and that that, that might be a real bummer for Niners fans for Bay Area football fans in general. Um, I think the Niners will probably I think they'll probably get around 20 24 points and I think the Panthers will probably just uh, have too much too much big play potential in the running game and all those things. The Niners really need to prove that they can stop the run. Last year was a historical just awful rush defense season. It was atrocious. Um, yeah. So I think that if they can they can stop the run, they have a chance. But if they don't, and it's going to be a long day. So I would say the probably Panthers win by a touchdown, let's say maybe 31-24, something like that.
1: Week one's always so fluky. And you look at how bad the Niners were the past two years, and they pretty much dominated in week one both of those years. So you, you never know what's going to happen. I'm um, with you. Yes. Though, like, I, I want to say that that they're going to win, and I think they have a chance to. But if Cam play, if Cam doesn't play, I think they're going to win. Um, mm-hmm. if he does, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's really tough. Um, I think it will be a close game, but with so many new faces, with so many young players, it, it could be tough for them to get it together. It could take a little while. And there may be some gut wrenching losses here in, in the beginning of the season, because I don't think this team is going to get killed by any stretch of the imagination, but could be tough to keep up under some, under some situations. So have to wait and see yeah. how it goes. have to wait and see.
0: I mean, the Niners are the biggest biggest sports brand in the bay area we know we love the warriors the giants are falling off this year but when sundays come around and the niners are playing uh the fact that they're going to be watchable again they're going to have players on both sides of the field where you're going to be looking at like where's 28 where's uh where, where's 94 where's 56 mm-hmm. um there's going to be some some young players that you're really excited to see how they perform now i did mention a lot on the offensive side of the ball but hopefully kyle shannon let's see how that new head coach can scheme it up and get these guys in a in a great position to succeed. I, I think a lot of people are going to be talking about the team, whether they go forward 12, six and 10, mm-hmm. eight and eight best case scenario. I think the Niners are probably going to captivate a lot more positive attention in the Bay Area this year, just from the fact that they're not dysfunctional as much in the front office. They're not leaking stories. They're not firing coaches. They have this thing with a long-term vision. So people are going to be a lot more accepting of good results, but losses, but good outcomes where Teams trying hard, they're they're looking capable and confident on the the field, but maybe they just didn't get done because they don't have the talent just yet.
1: And you look at some of the, we mentioned they only win four or five games, and you look at some of the the recent seasons when the Niners didn't have good records, how awful they were to watch in the Mike Nolan years, and with Singletary, and even with Tom Sula, and, and um, last year with Chip Kelly, just awful to watch. This year, they could be one of the more exciting five-win teams in recent memory. You know, they really, they really could be, so um, it's at least going to be stepping in the right direction, I think, so. You know, we'll have to see how it all plays out, but definitely good things ahead, I would think. So, Taylor, I cannot thank you enough for jumping on here and, and co-hosting with us. Zane, better hurry back. You did a good job. That was really good. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no, I'll keep the seat warm, but you know, you guys do a great job and always look forward to seeing what the web zone creates. You guys are all over it. All things Niners, it's it's fun to see uh, how you guys have your hands on the pulse, but there's just so much content, so much created about this organization, and people really love it. Uh, you guys, what you guys are doing. So props to you for, for doing a great podcast.
1: That means a lot, man. I really, really appreciate it. So, and we can't do it without the fans listening. So thank you to all of you for tuning in uh, for Taylor price. I'm Al Sacco. Thank you very much.